on a Sunday. I miss you. I'm in Abilene, Texas this weekend speaking at commencement. And I'm also excited. It's the first time in probably 20 years my mom and I are able to see each other on Mother's Day weekend. I want to wish a happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there and all of you who play motherly roles in many of our lives. We thank you and we love you. And uh, for all of you experiencing any form of loss or grief today, we feel you, we hear you, uh, we're grateful for you. I am excited today that Isaac Davis is with us. Isaac Davis is the adult, uh, the, the young adult minister at White Station Church of Christ, one of our sister churches here uh, in Memphis. And I've gotten to know Isaac over the last six months or so. He's fairly new to Memphis, but I love this guy's heart. Uh, I love who he is. I love that he's here in Memphis. And this morning, I love that he's here at Sycamore View. So, uh, Isaac, we love you. We're grateful for your partnership in the kingdom of God and Sycamore View. Can we put our hands together and welcome Isaac uh, to our church this morning? You know, for many years, my mother really struggled on Mother's Day. Um, and I didn't always notice as a kid, you know, I'm just bringing from school the little, uh, you know, arts and crafts that we made at school for our mothers. But when I got older, I started to notice that after church on Mother's Day, she just wanted to spend some time alone. And that was because her mother was not very good of a mother. And she spent a lot of time mourning that for many years. And uh, when my grandmother was still alive, uh, never reached out, never felt like a mother. And I remember two years in particular, just because they were back to back and they were very different years. One year, uh, my mother really wanted to be alone. It was that day, we just cleaned up the house and made sure things were neat for her and she wanted to just stay at home. The next year was really different though. The next year, we did our normal thing of not that much. Um, and my mother was came out and she was like you know you a few days later she was like you know you guys it really hurt me that you guys didn't do a lot for mother's day and we were we, me and my sister were so confused and we were like my mom normally you don't like to do much on mother's day you know that's kind of some alone time and my mom she was like well you know what for now on we're celebrating mother's day and my mother every year she was remembering her pain uh, in her pain, there was a shift that happened. Well, she realized that joy, that love that she was longing for was right under her nose all along. Good morning, you guys. Um, my name is Isaac Davis. I'm the Young Adult Ministry Apprentice that's been introduced at White Station. I'm super excited to be here with you guys. Um, I, like Josh said, I've been getting to know him a little bit. We've been uh, in, in this group where we get to spend some time together. And you guys have a really awesome minister. And I just want to say thank you, Josh, for uh, bringing me out here. But even more important, I want to say, you know, I, my mama has this link. And so I just want to say, Happy Mother's Day, Mama. I love you so much. I don't get to say that often. Uh, and so thank you guys today. I'm really excited for your guys' theme. You guys have been going through. Uh, the theme of Easter and the, right now the open tomb. What is really awesome to me about this is that, you know, I've only recently been exposed to different Christian faith traditions, but from what I understand, um, we have literally over a billion of our brothers and sisters who are, of, uh, ca the, who are members of the Catholic Church and, um, 
and of other high church uh, Christian traditions who are still celebrating Easter. They recognize all of these Sundays as Easter, and they're still celebrating that Jesus is risen. Because in the scripture, Jesus is still walking around, appearing to people. And I hope that he can appear to us this morning in a special way as well. And, uh, but when I think about this, I start to think about school for some reason. I think about how uh, in school, we all know that there's very important roles in a classroom. You know, you got the teacher, you got uh, the smart kids, and even in the smart kids, there's different types of smart kids. You got uh, the smart kid that sticks to themselves and says, stop trying to look at my work. You got the smart kid that says, well, here, I can help you with the homework. I mean, that was my best friend. Um, You got, you know, you you got uh, the most important role, in my opinion, the class clown, you see. This was my role. And many of your teachers, uh, many of you who are teachers are are either smiling or uh, glaring at me, maybe a little bit of both, and I'm happy to accept both of those. But being a class clown in elementary school was a whole lot of fun. We got, come on, somebody, somebody right here just said amen. They understand. Uh, in elementary school, it's awesome because, like, you know, you just make your way through school, you know, do your tests, and you're going to make it through for the most part. Um, and then you just get through elementary school. It's awesome. In junior high, it starts to get a little tough because in junior high, you got to, like, start doing work. Some of you have middle school, some of you junior high. I had junior high. You got to, like, go to different classes and actually, like, pay attention to the homework. Um, it, it starts getting a little tough to be the class clown in junior high. And for me, it was really tough in high school. In high school, I, you know, pretty early in high school, sophomore year, I started working about 25 to 30 hours outside of school. Well, in freshman year, I was still trying to do sports. And I was actually really struggling. And my grades were, like, they were not bad, but not doing your homework actually, like, hurt your grades for some reason. Um, <laughs> But I was really weighed down by this. I didn't know how to get let loose of this habit. Because, but at school, my job was to be happy. My job was to become ready with the jokes. My job was to be ready to roast on somebody if they come at me funny. You know, and my job was uh, to bring joy to everybody else. But there's something about that role that can get tiresome when your life's not actually happy. When I'm exhausted from working and... Um, you know, it's actually been only in recent years that I realized I had friends in high school, like people actually liked me. But there's this thing that happens when your outward appearance doesn't match up with what's going on in the inside. You start to feel lack of connection with other people. In high school, I was not a happy person, but I had to wear a mask every single day. At least I felt like I did. And so I, I, I was ready with the jokes. I was ready to lift other people up. And then I went home after work, and I was miserable. And there's something that happens when your outward behavior and your inward, you know, how you feel inside don't match up. The longer on it goes, man, some of you are resonating with this feeling. You know that that does not feel good. You feel more disconnected the longer you uh, keep it up, the more you keep the mask on. And one thing I've learned is that you start to resent people for believing the mask. You start to be, get mad at other people and say, they should have asked me more questions. And I was built up with resentment and anger and sadness, but outwardly I felt like I had to wear a mask. Some of you know what this is like. And let's be honest, 
sometimes I get so frustrated because I feel like that's what the Bible's telling me to do. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I have to do that here sometimes. I feel like, you know, you know I was just talking with uh, somebody who said, if you can't be real here, you can't be real anywhere else. And, but here's the situation. Oftentimes, I feel like I can't be real here. I feel like this is the place I have to pick the most. Sometimes I feel like the mask is the strongest and the thickest and the most convincing when I come into the church house and I put on a tie and I smile. Does anybody resonate with that? Like some of us feel like we have to wear a mask to, 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 to be a Christian. That sometimes the Bible says all this stuff about rejoicing and being joyful and we're celebrating Easter. Jesus is walking around and that's supposed to be a good thing. But some of us feel like we're still in the tomb. Some of us recognize that life isn't always joyful. We're supposed to be joyful, but what does that mean when things are not going good? What does that mean when we're not actually feeling joyful? I think the Bible has something to say about that. The good thing is Jesus talks a little bit about this, but I still don't get what Jesus is talking about because Jesus is telling us to be joyful and to celebrate, but Jesus isn't even always happy. Because we go through all these stories and we see these things about Jesus. And, and you know what? Before we dive into that, I want to look at this. Because we're talking about this mask. And in the past couple of years, we've seen a lot of anger in our society, in our culture. We've seen people, and we still have to come here and pretend that we're not angry at the person aside from us that posted something that we didn't like. It's interesting that um, there's actually been some studies done on anger. This is actually a 2018 study where people were asked the question, People were asked two questions. The first question was, have you felt personally, have you felt more angry in the past year than, uh, than before? And this was in 2018. And, uh, there and a lot of people said yes. They felt angry in the past year than they have that year. This was in 2018, before 2020. And then the next question they were asked was, and this is a 2018 NPR study. The next question they were asked was, do you feel like we are angrier as a culture now than 10 years ago? 84% of people said yes. That all of us can look at our culture in general and see that something is not right. That we're angrier now than what we were 10 years ago. And uh, uh, almost half of people, 42% of people said even they are angrier this past year than they were the year before. And that was in 2018. Gallup has done more surveys uh, that are not up here, but Gallup has done more surveys that have shown that more people are angry, uh, more people are stressed, more people have experienced sadness in the past year than they have in previous years. How are we supposed to be joyful and to spread the joy of Christ when that's our culture? When the person next to us very likely has been more angry, more sad, and more stressed in the past year or even yesterday, than they have been ever in their life. And I don't get why Jesus wants us to be joyful all the time, because Jesus isn't even always joyful. That Jesus gets angry too. Matter of fact, we see Jesus is described as kind of angry only two times in Scripture. One of them we see when he's flipping the tables in the temple. We all know this story. We've, um, but he's actually described as being, uh, experiencing zeal in that, time, uh, in that passage. But there's another time Jesus is described as being actually angry. In Mark chapter 3, we see Jesus, um, he's healing this man who has a withered hand. 
this man is not able to use his arm, but it's the Sabbath day. And so they're in the temple. The Pharisees are watching Jesus, trying to see if he's going to do anything on the Sabbath day, the day they're not supposed to do any work, so they can find a reason to kill him. And in Mark chapter 3, this is what we see. We see Jesus say, uh, this is the account in Mark. Um, In Mark chapter 3, we see this man needs healing, but the Pharisees are trying to kill Jesus. And I'm going to actually read from up here. Another time, Jesus went to the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to heal or to kill? And Jesus looks around at the Pharisees, and none of them answer. And it says, Jesus looks at them with anger and, uh, and, and resentment. He is angry at these men who are like ready to let, injust- to let this man not be healed. They're, re- they're okay with injustice as long as Jesus follows their rules. And he looked at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot to kill Jesus. But look at this, though. Jesus is angry at injustice, too. That we're looking at our society in the past couple years, we've seen people angry at injustice. We've seen people uh, on Facebook, if you don't believe me, check social media, and you post anything, and people are angry about it. Um, We've seen our culture become more angry, and Jesus is telling us what? We're like, not, we're supposed to be joyful all the time? And I just don't get it because Jesus experiences sadness too. That there's this time when uh, Lazarus dies. Lazarus is one of Jesus' close friends. When Lazarus dies in John chapter 11, we see Jesus gets sad. Lazarus gets sick. Many of us know this story. And Jesus knows about it early enough to where he can help and heal Lazarus. But he doesn't go for some reason. And in John, what happens is Jesus comes on the scene and his, some of his closest friends, they see Jesus and they're like, Jesus, you could have been here in time to save Lazarus, but you weren't. You didn't come heal him. And Jesus is with them and Jesus cries too. If you grew up in church, you probably had memory verses growing up. There was probably somebody in your church that gave out candy or maybe a dollar for memory verses. And this was your favorite memory verse to quote. You could only do it once. And, but you got that candy on that day for John chapter 11. And in John chapter 11, we see here, beginning at verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When, Jew, when the Jews were there with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, and they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and sang to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus, being moved by the sadness, Jesus wept. How many of you have lost people in the past couple years? How many of you have 
have seen your close friends lose people and you're trying to support them. How many of you have just cried in the past year or so? Jesus is out here crying too, but we're supposed to be joyful? And I, sometimes I just don't get it. How are we supposed to be joyful when Jesus isn't even always joyful? Matter of fact, in Scripture, Scripture is full of all these sad songs. And one of them is uh, in Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22, it's supposed to be a psalm of David. And David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, you know, from the beginning of time, thousands of years before Jesus, people are crying out, God, you've forsaken me. How are we supposed to be joyful when we feel like, when, we, when it feels like God is not there? As a matter of fact, Jesus actually quotes this psalm in, uh, when he is on the cross. In Luke, we see, um, in Mark rather, we see Jesus quoting this psalm when he is on the cross. Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Jesus is out here saying God is not there for him, how are we supposed to feel like God is always there for us? If Jesus on the cross is saying, God, you've forsaken me, how are we supposed to feel like that? Does anybody resonate with this? Does anybody, has anybody experienced times where it feels like God is not there? Have any of us been angry? Have any of us experienced loss and anguish? And we're supposed to be joyful? I think Jesus gives us a hint to what it means to be joyful, even when we are on the cross. Because Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all of us resonate with this. We know what this is like. But we actually see Jesus' final statement on the cross is not, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His final statement on the cross is in Luke. And Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I think that's joy. I think joy is not that we fake it till we make it. Joy is not that we pretend we're not angry. I think joy to follow Jesus is not to pretend that we're not sad. To pretend that it's Mother's Day and some of us didn't have good mothers. And some of us are longing to be mothers or some of us have been mothers and have lost children. And some of us, even if you're not a mother, you know what it's like to be angry and to be in anguish and to be lost and to uh, be in the darkest time of your life. Jesus, in the darkest time of his life, the sun is literally not coming up when he's on the cross. And he's on the cross and he recognizes that it feels like God is not here. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that does not get the last word. That God, feeling like God is not there is not the last word. Sometimes we can make theological implications of this statement, but what we know from Jesus' final statement on the cross is that God is still there. That even when Jesus Christ is on the cross bearing the sins of all the world, he's able to say, Father, I know where my spirit is going. That, Father, you are right here with me. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When you are on your cross, when you are in your tomb, when you are full of anger at injustice happening around you, and it seems like some people are just okay with it happening as long as you follow their rules, when you have lost people in your life and you're full of anguish and moved by it, 
God is still there. And I want to know a little bit of a difference between our anger and Jesus' anger. You know, because um, the, the, when we're angry, what do we do? If we're at that scene where Jesus is waiting to heal this man and we know they're looking for a reason to persecute us, to kill us, I don't know about y'all, but my tendency is not to just heal somebody. My tendency is not to help. This is something we're noticing culturally, actually. And there's a, a, a study that I, I was reading where they were saying they were noticing that normally political anger, for example, results in people being moved to political action. For example, there's a lot of movements that we see even 50 years ago or so that when people are angry about political things, they rise up and try to make political movements. For example, Mar uh, Martin Luther King comes to mind that we see people actually raise up and make political movements to solve their problem. But what do we do? We post and get angry at the people. That the research is showing that people are not necessarily moving in their anger to solve the problem. They're moving at other people around them. When Jesus is angry, he's healing people. When we're angry, we're attacking people. When Jesus is in anguish and sadness, Jesus raises people up. And we can't raise people up, but what are some ways that with our sadness, in our anguish, we can still give life to others? When Jesus is in his darkest time and it feels like God has forsaken him, a lot of us, I tended to stay there. I kept my mask on. I continued to put on a front. And I thought that's what it meant to be a Christian, was to fake it till I make it. That's the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are those who can fake it till they make it. Blessed are those who can smile through the pain. Blessed are those who can just keep grinding through it. That's not what Jesus says. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek and lowly. They will inherit the earth. How many of us feel like uh, the Beatitudes are fake it till you make it? Jesus wants people who are ready to accept that they are poor in their spirit, that they can mourn, that they can be lowly, and they are blessed in that state. That Christian joy is not pretending you're not in the tomb. It's recognizing that in three days, the rock will be moved. Christian joy is not pretending you're not on a cross. It's recognizing that when you're on the cross, you know who is taking care of your spirit, who is right there with you on the cross. Christian joy is not pretending we're not in anguish. It's recognizing that in our anguish, God is there. And so we can bring resurrection, that God is there. So even in our anger, we can, instead of attacking others, we can heal. And I think we're supposed to be angry. I think we're supposed to be in anguish. We're supposed to acknowledge that sometimes it feels like God is not there. And we recognize that even then, he is. When we are looking at the open tomb, some of us feel like we're still in it. And that's okay. You are allowed to be in the tomb because Jesus stayed in it. Jesus didn't, and you know, there, there's no story about Jesus pretending he's not in the tomb and saying, I, I was never there. People placed his body in there. And some of us in our tombs, you just lost somebody. 
and you're coming up here saying, I'm fine? Why are you lying to us? You are angry, and you're allowed to be angry. And God is in your anger, too. God is big enough to handle it. And I want us to know that in your tomb, if you just wait. I, well, first off, God is already in the tomb there with you. And if you just wait, I believe you can turn around and you'll notice that there's a light at the entrance. My mother, for a long time, struggled with Mother's Day because she didn't have a very good mother. She spent a lot of time mourning what she didn't have and what she wished she had. My mother wished for a long time that she had somebody to care for her and to, to be a good mother to her. And some of you know what that's like. And so for a long time, we didn't really do a lot for Mother's Day. My mother needed time alone. She needed time to be to herself. And then there was a couple of years where something kind of switched. Where one year my mother came to us and she was like, you guys, why didn't you guys do anything for, we didn't do much for Mother's Day. And we were like, Mom, you normally don't like to do anything. You, you know, you need time to yourself. And my mother, I think there was a shift with my mother where she realized that she was mourning what she didn't have when the love that she was looking for was right there with her. You guys, we can, we can acknowledge our emotions, and we're supposed to, actually. Jesus does it. You guys, we're allowed to be angry. We're allowed to mourn. We're allowed to anguish. But what we recognize, we're not pretending there's no tomb. Uh, we're not coming here to fake it. We're not coming here to pretend. We come here acknowledging that, yes, we were in a tomb, but the stone has been moved away. You know, that we're, we don't have to pretend that this is supposed to be a place where we can be real. Because we know that if we turn around, the stone is moved from our tomb. That even on our cross, God is there. Joy is not a lack of sadness and frustration or any of these things. Joy is recognizing God's presence in the midst of them. And for a second, I, I want to talk about heaven. Because this is why this matters. As we get ready to kind of transition into communion in a moment. That this matters because of heaven. I want to move over to, I want to look at a verse from Revelation. A lot of our brothers and sisters across the world are celebrating the fourth Sunday of Easter today. And this is uh, one of the scriptures that they'll be reading together um, in their worship. That they'll be reading Revelation uh, chapter 7 together. Revelation chapter 7 starts with this scene of people coming from all nations and all tongues and tribes coming together and praising God. And this is what our brothers and sisters are reading this morning uh, to, to celebrate the fourth Sunday of Easter. They're saying, I answered, sir, I know. This is John responding to one of the great elders. And the elder said, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And I want to stop here for just a second. Blood has been spilled, and we do not pretend that it's not blood. That the reason we take of communion is Jesus is making a memorial for what he's done for us when he died on the cross. We're not pretending that the bread is not body. Did you know he, he had to sacrifice his body for this to be his body? That he had to spill his blood for us to be washed in it and to be clean from it? And therefore, because they have been through tribulation, we've been through some trials, we've been through some tribulation, and it's because of that tribulation we worship God like this. 
there before the throne of God and serve him. We serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. That even through our tribulation, God will shelter us. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. It's scriptures like this that make me emotional when I think about heaven, when I think about what God has done for me. And this is why. As somebody, as a a long-term and trying to retire still, class clown, and um, as somebody who I can be like, these are my words, I tend to say sinfully optimistic, where I can... I can tend towards just ignoring the wrong to make everything happy. Like, everything's going to be okay. Like, this is bad, but, you know, everything's going to be good. And that's not what I'm trying to say here. But what I appreciate most about these visions of heaven is that you actually have to do what my Bible professor told me to accept these. That Dr. Kevin Youngblood, uh, he taught us when we were going through the book of Psalms that you can only accept as much joy as sorrow has carved room for that we have to let sorrow carve space in us to accept joy. This is what I mean. That God wrapping his presence around us, we have to know what it feels like to not feel that, to appreciate that. And I believe God is always there, but we have to acknowledge and not pretend we don't feel like God's not there, to acknowledge how good it feels when we do recognize it. You know what I mean? What I'm saying is to realize when, when the scriptures say, you'll never hunger again, Do you know what it's like to be hungry? To appreciate God relieving our hunger forever. We have to know what it's like. Some of y'all, it's church. So some of y'all are hungry right now, amen? And and you know what it's like to have your hunger filled. To know what it's like to have your thirst filled. You have to acknowledge how painful it is when your throat is dry and you're thirsty. To know how good it feels that, uh, or how painful it feels to be lost. To not know where you're going in your life is when you appreciate having a shepherd who will grab you by the hand and take you to the promised land, to take you where you need to go. As we take of the bread and the cup, as we transition into communion, let's remember that this is the Lord's body, that the Lord actually had to, Jesus had to give his body. He had to actually make sacrifices for us to have and to partake of life. There are several tables scattered around this, uh, about six tables around this room where we'll be able to reach and take communion together. And as we take of the body, we remember that this is a body Jesus gave for us and that this took sacrifice and that this is God taking on flesh. And there's, we take joy in it with the sacrifice. Just as we live our life with this paradox of we're constantly being joyful in recognizing God's presence no matter what we're going through. And in this blood, this blood cleanses us. Jesus, when he kind of reshapes this meal into what we call communion, he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. May you, as we take this blood, remember that this is our relationship with God. It's one that involves blood, but cleansing. It involves sacrifice and joy. And it involves death, but new life. And that when we take of communion, we are recommitting to our relationship to God. We're saying, God, I commit. I will not be half-hearted. I'm not going to wear the mask. I'm not going to pretend. I can't fake it anymore. I recommit.
to my relationship with you as I take this blood. Um, as we transition into communion, let's pray over the Lord's Supper. Father in heaven, we know what it's like to be hungry. We know what it's like to be thirsty. We know what it's like to be in anguish. We know what it's like to be angry. And God, we're so thankful that you do too. That we don't, we serve a God that doesn't make us pretend that we're not in anguish. That doesn't make us pretend like sometimes it feels like you're not there. Thank you for teaching us how to follow you in a way that is real, that is authentic, that uh, is our whole self, God. And God, thank you for doing it by giving your whole self. Thank you for Jesus Christ who gave of his body, who sacrificed his entire life for us, God. Thank you for that. Help us to take of his body and to recognize that this is the life that we're called to, that we are deciding that even the person next to us that our father and our mother and our wife and our children comes after you in our life. Help us to also give of our bodies. God, thank you for the blood that you've spilled, that because your blood is spilled, that we'll be in heaven with the, we'll be the people who have been through tribulation, who, who have robes that are clean because of your blood, and we will proclaim you, we'll know what it's like to have no more hunger, to have uh, no more tears, to have our tears wiped from our eyes. God, help us to let our tears fall so that you can wipe them away. Thank you for this blood, and through this blood we commit to living a life for you. Thank you for Jesus. May we be more like him every day. In his name we pray. Amen.